0: Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down.
1: Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is available every week. We are in the business of connecting people with their food. My name is Chef Jackson Lamb. I've been in the hospitality industry for the last 35 years. Uh, I'm a professor at Metropolitan State University in the School of Hospitality. And my co-host is Mr. Greg Bloom. Greg, what's a little bit of your background?
2: Oh, hey, Chef. Good morning. It's good to see you again today in the studio. What a beautiful day. Hey, well, I grew up on a farm in Colorado, and I'm a farm kid. And then I spent 30 years working in six different USDA food plants. So I've spent my entire life in food production. Very good. So you're really uh, back of the house, working with the
1: farmers and the ranchers, and and my career has been in the front of the house, working with uh, bartenders, the guests, sommeliers... And, uh, and all of that.
2: Exactly. I get the food in the box, and then out of the box and out to the customer as your, your department.
1: That's exactly correct. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about wine. And our guest today is Mr. Scott Thomas with the uh, uh, Grappolo Wine School. Scott, did I pronounce that correctly?
0: You did almost, Jack. It's Grappolo. It is a, the Italian word for grape bunch.
1: Very nice. Thanks, Scott. Hey, Scott, you know, um, I'm a a wine educator, but, you know, when I go up against somebody like you, I realize that, you know, I'm in grade school. That's for sure. But one of the things that I do when I'm trying to teach my students who really don't know much, they can barely identify four white wines and four red wines. Um, Can, uh, anyway, that's, some of the issues I have at school but you know can you help us by sharing how did you get into the wine industry originally
0: sure well yes I I'm like you I've spent majority of my life in hospitality my my parents owned a restaurant as I was growing up and I put myself through college and a criminal justice degree that I did not use but I was always finding myself in the service industry and able to uh, to pay my way through school. And, and then I moved to Colorado to be a ski bum, also in the restaurant industry. And during that time, just the exposure to wine, uh, I really caught the bug. You know, There was a few wines that just sparked an interest in, in me and, and wanted to learn more. And then I uh, eventually found myself in fine dining environments where uh, wine was very important and they had wine education programs within the restaurant And just, again, a spark of like, wow, I can learn all about history, geography, um, and and, and, uh, all these cultural traditions just by tasting a bottle of wine. So that's really how I got into it, and then started to pursue education from there.
1: Very good. You know, uh, at home, I can't get my wife to change from what she drinks every single day, although... I'm of the thinking: let's try something new. If we like it, we'd buy it again. If we don't like it, we just move on to the next model. Um, what's your take on on uh, having a favorite wine, or are
0: they all favorites? Ooh, that's a tough one. Well, I would say there there is something about a comfort level of knowing what you're consuming and 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 the familiarity, but. I do think what is really fascinating about wine is the amount of diversity and how many wines there are in the world and how many grape varieties there are. And then you compound that with the producer styles and terroir differences. Um, so I'm a, I'm of the thinking of diversity as a little, it's more exciting. You get to try a wine, maybe from the same place, but two different producers and they taste totally different. So... I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other, but I would suggest, you know, trying some new things. It's it's really fun, but it's also sometimes disappointing. I mean, we'll be honest.
1: <laughs> Very good. You know, I know that um, a lot of people don't have an understanding of the background and the history of wine, and I certainly see that in a classroom environment. One of the things that I do in a class is I assign the students to go out and, and look up those movies such as Uncorked, or Somme, or The Judgment of Paris. Uh, some of those are absolutely great. They give us some great background as to what the, the history of the industry is all about. Uh, is there a favorite wine movie that you like?
2: <laughs> Ooh, uh,
0: I do love Somme it, it, because it does really look at the, the testing process and how rigorous it can be and how serious it, it is. Um, but I also like, uh, I, I think, the Bottle Shock is a great movie, too. Uh, it's kind of a fantasy, uh, a playful version of the, the Judgment of Paris in 1976. But it, it does give you context on how the United States wine industry kind of catapulted into the world's fame, so to speak. So those two I really appreciate. You're right.
1: Very good. Excellent.
2: Hey Scott, tell us a little bit about your wine school and and who's your target market?
0: Sure. Yeah, Grappola Wine School is uh, it just I just founded it last summer and I'm a mobile wine academy so meaning that I, I don't have a physical space. So um I I I operate under three pillars, so uh, private events in people's homes or or you know, uh, special events, um corporate events where I could would come in and and do team-building activities through wine, um, and then you know, more industry training, so people that are geared who are in hospitality or who are in wine trade, you know, whether they're in sales or um, you know, in retail setting. And, and I, I cater to all three of those, but most recently I've had an Italian wine certification course called the Italian Wine Maestro so it's a course, and then at the end, you take a final exam to get a certification. And that's really geared towards enthusiasts that are, are really passionate and or uh, trade and industry people. So I kind of cater to all three.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for that explanation. Very good.
1: Sure. Hey, uh, let me jump in here, Scott. Um, you know, a lot of people do know about wine, but uh, just as many people don't know anything. Um where does a sommelier come in you know obviously that's not in every restaurant but in the nicer restaurants there is a sommelier can you uh share with our listeners you know, what is that job and and what does that entail
0: so historically right the sommelier or, or the, the way this term came about was uh, kind of in the middle french area just right after the middle ages of a. Uh, uh, someone who is um, responsible for transporting baggage or and, and also responsible for, for choosing table wines for kind of the French noble. And, and then this position turned into really what we know of today as a modern sommelier who's, who's working on a restaurant floor who is either responsible for making all the wine choices and bringing the wines into the restaurant and someone who is working during service to make recommendations. And the sommelier, in my opinion, is someone who who knows the menu better than anybody else and knows the wine list better than anybody else. And it can really connect the two. And so if you're dining at an establishment that has a sommelier, I think it's someone you can really trust to provide you with a a great experience based on what you like for a wine and based on the menu and maybe what you're having for that evening. Um, a really great sommelier would listen more than anything, and then make recommendations based on how much you want to spend, you know, the price point, and again, what you're having for dinner that night, and and maybe even open to trying new things. And he would be able to suggest alternatives to you what you would commonly drink. If you drink Cabernet Sauvignon all the time, perhaps you try something from Italy like Alianico, something that's similar but different. But someone who's there to make recommendations and, and to, to trust.
1: Excellent, Scott. You know, um, let's talk about the cost of wine. You know, I, of course, can we find something that's really good under 30 bucks? Or is all the good stuff, you know, up in the stratosphere, you know, 70, 80, $100? What's your, what's your take on pricing of the product out there?
0: well finding wine value is what gets me the most excited quite frankly and i think there is still a a lot of value to be had under 30 dollars. of course when you get over 30 you would hope that quality is uh, exceptionally better but that's not always the case sometimes you're paying for the brand and the marketing and you know something of that nature but for me a good um kind of a a rule of thumb for choosing wines is to really look at more of like the appellation or the denomination. And I tend to find myself buying more old world wines. So wines that come from Europe that offer really great value under $25, let's say. So for instance, like a, a Cote de Rhone, if you like kind of jammy style red wines, or if you like Pinot Noir, perhaps a Beaujolais from France is also a great alternative that's made from Gamay or in, in even a classic like Bordeaux, there's so much value. It's just appellated Bordeaux under $20. And you can really find a lot of value there. Same with wines from Italy, Portugal, Spain. So that's generally where I find my my purchasing, if you will. But it's not easy because most of the wines are appellated. Uh, they're not labeled by varietal. They're labeled by regions. So it's it's a little bit of research, but... That's also kind of where the retail sommelier will come in, you know, someone who works in a wine shop that can help you make recommendations.
1: Very good. You know, Scott, it's ironic that you just ran through a number of wines that are French, but I happen to know your expertise is one country over, over in Italy. Um, so let's talk about the Italian experience just briefly here. I know that you spent a lot of time there. Um, can you can you reflect on that experience?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I did. I spent two years in northern Italy, predominantly in, in Piedmont, and I was there uh, earning a master's degree in wine culture and communication. So it was kind of an immersion into the Italian wine and food culture while there. And w- during my time there, I-, I was able to travel quite a bit throughout Europe, and I'm so fortunate for that, and, and really learn a lot more about the culture and traditions of-, of wines from this area. And what I learned and what I took away from that, that it's just it's so ingrained in everyday life. Uh, it- it's a part of the meal. It's a part of a, you know, it's considered a food item, let's call it. Very different than here in the United States uh, that is it's kind of an extra or luxury good, let's call it, that, that you're seeking out. It's not always on every table, nor was it many of us brought up on it. And that's what I learned there mostly, is that it's just so ingrained. Um, I also learned that it's just wildly complex. I mean, the more you learn about it, the more, the more you can learn about wines and, and various regions and terroirs and producers and grape varieties. Um, and that's what keeps bringing me back to Italy, Is that it's, it's widely diverse. And honestly, the most of the grapes that are planted there are not really planted outside of that country. So it's so singular to this one place. It, it's just so attractive to me to keep learning about it.
1: Very good. And what, you know, some of the pictures you shared with me, it is one vineyard after another, after another, after another. And some of these pictures, these look like medieval towns from the 1500s.
0: Uh, the, most of them are Yes so the, the, they are and a lot of the, the villages let's call them are, are on hilltops because predominantly Italy is a hilly country. there's very few flat areas and going back historically based on um, you know preservation of, of a community, most of the villages are, are, are situated around hilltops just for protection and a lot of the vineyards kind of slope off of those hills from there. And there are some regions that are just contiguous vineyards and it's just one after another. But then you get into regions like Tuscany, let's call it, where there's a lot of uh, nuance to the slopes and, and there's pockets of, 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 of vineyards intertwined with orchards and pastures and trees. And that's kind of what Italy was, I think, historically, is that there were small vineyards owned by, by uh, small owners and... And now things have kind of spread out. I think it's just based on demand and just uh, the economy of goods.
2: Very good. Hey, Scott, this is Greg. And, you know, I have to confess I don't know a lot about wine, um, uh, unlike my counterpart here at Chef Jackson Lamb, who teaches a wine class. But, uh, you know, I hear a lot about uh, tannins. And and I have a question for you about, you know, what is a tannin and how, do, how does your tongue pick up the taste? So maybe you could explain tannins and how they mix on your palate with other foods to make the the wine tasting experience so enjoyable with with certain foods
0: sure sure well tannins are a naturally occurring compound and, and they're not only found in in grape skins but also in in food items um think of black tea or chocolate uh, so they're they're common they're common in other items that are um that we consume naturally. So a good indication of tannin, let's say you take a uh, English breakfast tea and you let it steep for an hour, you know, really extract it. And then you taste it and then you notice this astringency on the, in your mouth. And that's what tannins do in, in red wines predominantly, not necessarily white wines. Um, so they create this astringency and this uh, kind of... Uh, um, I would say kind of a a dryness in your mouth and it's predominantly found in the very front part of your teeth. So if your teeth feel maybe a little bit woolly or more like velvet and on going up into the front of your gums, that's where you can perceive grape tannin. There's also tannin in the oak that red wines are generally aged in and you sense that in the back part of your tongue. Um, And then the stalks also have some tannin in them as well, and those are a little bit more green, if you will. And as far as you know, food and wine pairing, of, of wines that are very tannic, um, those can really help um, combine uh, a, wine, a, a food that has a lot of fat in it with a, a tannic red grape wine. So let's say you you're, have a grilled ribeye, then it has a lot of marbling and a lot of fat. And flavor, and uh, a red wine that is quite tannic, like let's say, maybe Cabernet Sauvignon or even uh, from Italy, Nebbiolo-based wines or, or Sangiovese, Giovese. These really help, kind of, they combine together and kind of more complement each other. So the tannins would be reduced from the fat uh, on the in the in the food, and the food would become maybe a little bit more kind of. Mm, silky in your mouth i don't know how else to describe it something of that nature but tannins is, are especially complicated uh, most of the red grapes have various degrees of tannin um, if you don't appreciate that astringency there's there's plenty of red wines that are less tannic um, like a grape variety that i mentioned before like um, gamay pinot noir or even barbera you know, things of that nature
1: very good scott you know, the you mentioned earlier that the tannins, you feel that on your teeth. And uh, and you, you said it, it's kind of a woolly sensation. My wife has a phrase at home, and she says, it feels like my teeth have sweaters on. <laughs> <laughs> and when you said that about tannins, you know, she's uh, kind of hung up on Chenin Blanc. But every once in a while, I've got a bottle of Merlot open or a Cabernet or... Uh, or a Barbera, and I'll say, just have a sip of this, and I get that kind of a response. Um, Uh One of the most confusing things out there, Scott, is probably trying to pair wine with food. And so you've given a couple of great examples already, such as a big grilled ribeye or whatever, but what are the common rules of the road When you're trying to have a Sunday dinner party, the family's coming over. Um, uh, What are the rules of the road on picking a wine to match the entree?
0: Ooh, yeah. So this could be as complex as you want it to be. It's a really fascinating subject, uh, the wine and food pairing and how they work together. So it's uh, it's almost like you have to have um, a good amount of knowledge of the wine um, prior to, and because you could start in two places, you can revolve a, a meal around the wine itself, or vice versa. You start with the food, and then you choose a wine to pair with that food. And I think the latter is, is a is a more um, a better approach in a, in most of our situations at home. Uh, I mean, one general rule. It's kind of a, a common saying: is what grows together goes together. So you mentioned Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc, commonly from the Loire Valley in France, they are known for goat cheese uh, from this area, Um, and same with Sauvignon Blanc from the same area, from the Loire Valley. So Loire Valley goat cheese, Loire Valley white wines, they quite go well together. Um, Something from Italy, Nebbiolo from Piedmont with white truffles or a a white mushroom-like dish really kind of go well together. But beyond that, kind of the general rules is that the wine should be more acidic than the food. So again, you might, should have to have some basic knowledge uh, of your of your wines first. Uh, the wine should be sweeter than the food, and I also think uh, that that pairs well with dessert wines. So the dessert wine should always be sweeter than the dessert itself, um, and that also plays into maybe spicy food. So if you like Thai or or something that's Asian inspired that has a lot of heat. Um, you pair that with a sweet wine, and it helps kind of suppress that heat a little bit. Um, I also think you, the wine should have maybe on, on a similar level of, of, of intensity and weight. Um, so if you have a dark piece of, uh, of, of meat, a of red meat, then maybe the wine should also be dark and heavy. But if, you're, if you have more delicate um, meats, so let's say a, a piece of, uh, of pork loin, Perhaps the wines um, could be a little bit lighter in style, and, and I think that could be same for white wines when you think of maybe sushi or uh, oysters, and those go very well with light, very light body white wines like Chablis or Muscadet um, or, or anything from the coast of Italy. There's quite a bit to say of in the, in the pairings, but if you're looking for one kind of blanket pairing wine, I, I feel like sparkling wine made in a classic method is really a good pairing overall. Same with rosé from all over the world. I could go on forever about this. Sure, you can, it's Scott.
1: Just, you know, <laughs> uh, some of the terms that I try to introduce my students to is similarity versus contrast, and I think you've kind of brought that out. You know, if to have a uh, a sweeter wine and with Thai food, you know that Thai food will just light you up, but the sweeter wine puts the fire out. It's a great way to look at uh, the contrasting properties of food and wine.
0: Right? Yeah, congruent pairings that are like very similar flavors and similar components. Um, yeah, versus this. Contrasting pairings—you can have a lot of fun with it. I I really feel like that's one of the the beauties of wine and the exploration of it is just the the exploration. So, if you had two wines in front of you in front of the same meal, it's really fun to try the both at the same time and see which one might work best and why. Um, So, it's a a good experiment. It's also really fun to just try if you're having a dinner party. Everyone can have two glasses side by side and, and try that different approach with congruent flavors that match versus kind of the, the contrasting style.
1: Very good. Those are clever ideas. You know, a lot of people don't know. In fact, I'll, I'll just share this with you. First day of wine fundamentals, and I'll say to the students, you know, can you name five white wines and five red wines? And, you know, some of them struggle, okay? Uh, on the other hand, I think you mentioned earlier, there are so many different varietals out there. Um, how about this, Scott? You know, if you were to name your top eight reds, what would they be? And the same thing on the white side. What would be your top uh, eight whites that uh, you would go to? Ooh,
0: okay, if we're talking just grape varieties, okay, I'm going to... The list is uh, not in any order, just as they come to mind. So okay, So I'll start with the white wine. I think Chardonnay is king, and I think it's fantastic in many different ways. Uh, Chenin Blanc, absolutely. So these are two uh, white French varieties. Mm, switching to Italy, Verdicchio, mm, commonly found on the Adriatic side. Uh, a grape not so known, it's called Timarasso. A little bit more difficult, only grown in one place. Um, in the southern part of Italy and and Sicily with uh, White Lotus coming out, everybody watching it. The grape variety is called uh, Caracante from Mount Etna. Absolutely love it. Um, Moving north, let's say, in Italy, uh, I like Pecorino. It's a great variety that was brought back from extinction. And how about one more? Let's say... um, think greco is fantastic and that is from Campania. and uh, so again not all these grape varieties over here we'll see on the label they're kind of disguised in the appellation and the red side i tend to like wines that have uh, more nuance versus weight but that, i mean that's not always true it depends on what i'm eating so from italy i love nebbiolo nebbiolo based wine Sangiovese. Uh, I i was spent some time in tuscany so i kind of left my heart there i love that Again, from Etna, Norello Mascalese, um, from France. I mean, these are like the king of all grapes, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Cabernet Franc, uh, Merlot, and those blended together in, in Bordeaux-like blends, Pinot Noir, of course, um, and just rare varieties that you, you don't see outside of their regions, like uh, a, a grape called Scopettino from from Friuli in Italy or Skiava uh, up in Alto Adige. So I'm kind of all over the board, but these are the ones that I, I tend to gravitate to.
1: You know what? I I would not have been able to name half of those, Scott. I think that's great. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Just to take this a step further, how about availability? Is that an uh, an Argonaut or a Tipsy or a, uh, uh Applejack? Or Costco? Uh, yeah. Uh, can we find those types of wines in those stores? Or are these more specialty items where it's really through a, your distribution network?
0: Um, not necessarily. Uh, I, I feel most wine stores or wine shops would have the, the these main varieties like Nebbiolo, Sangiovese, even wines from Mount Etna and, of course, Bordeaux and, and regions like that. But um, you know, the larger wine stores, the independent wine stores, have a greater variety, and they generally have people that are working there that can help direct you to find them. If you if you go in with a, a variety or a grape in mind, they can definitely help guide you to that section. Um, you know, the the there are a lot of now supermarkets that are selling wines, and and those have maybe a little less uh, as far as diversity and options, and they have a lot of. Uh, of the same wines in, in their in their same stores, let's say, so you'll find the same wine set uh, in this store as as the one up down the street. But as you get into those more independent wine shops, like as you mentioned, Argonaut and Applejack and Tipsies, but also the really small find you find in your neighborhood, that's what they thrive on. And they generally taste every wine that comes into the store. They end them. It's like being a sommelier in a restaurant. They they know what they have on their shelves, and they're able to guide you to that.
1: Yeah, and a Leicester wine shop, they'll have wine tastings. You can go in there on a on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday afternoon and, uh, you know, they'll advertise that. As a matter of fact, I think they have to report that to the local authorities that they're doing a tasting. Very good. Great.
0: Excellent. Yeah, try before you buy. It's a great yeah. way to do it.
1: And, uh, Scott, I'll just go backwards for a second. You know, wine and food pairing, we often look at the food first and what wine goes with that. But often, hey, I'm coming back from Italy and I got four or five great bottles, what foods do we use? So uh, thanks for bringing that up. Hey, you know what? We're just about out of time here, Scott, and uh, we are delighted that you joined us here on on Food Chat. In fact, I think we've just scratched the surface, and we're going to have to have you back because you've really picked my curiosity
2: Greg, Scott, thanks for all the info, and uh, it was just a lot of fun talking to you, so thanks for joining us today.
0: Likewise. It was a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on the show.
2: Today's Food Chat episode was brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com finds the best quality beef in the marketplace, but not only beef, bison and chicken and lamb and all kinds of great proteins that come from family farms, that we know personally, and if not the farm, then the USDA plant. So go to RanchFreshMeats.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter because at the every week we pull a name at random and give away a box of meat. RanchFreshMeats.com. Here's to the farmer, the plants, the fields, and the spring The turn
0: from green to bad harvest, honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown. Got him on his feet with handshake of money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son, raising a daughter They gather round the table, send it up to the father Somehow they get closer when times get harder Here's to the farmer The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and country station.